I'm going to get behind the pedals, if that's all right. He's setting the guitar off. How are you guys doing tonight? i got to say tonight, not this morning. Everybody good? All right. So last week, we started the beginning of John chapter 9 and addressed the first seven verses of the passage involving the man born blind. And so this week, we're going to jump right into John chapter 9, and we're going to talk about the rest of this story. And it's one of the most compelling narratives or interactions, I think, in the Gospels. And um, I really, you know, I, I sat and I thought for a while about this passage. Mike and I talked about it a lot as Mike was uh, addressing it this morning downtown. And I'm, I'm, I'm looking for a, for a hook, you know, what's a good anecdote or what's a good, you know, story that I can tell to jump into this or to, you know, some kind of mental hook for you guys to be able to hang, hang your hat on as we begin to embrace this story. And as I read it and as I thought about it, I began to realize that this story is just simply what it is. And I want to get right to the simple story of this blind beggar's interaction with Jesus, the Christ. If you'll turn with me to John chapter 9, I'm going to read, and, and really what we're focusing on, because we addressed last week, verses 1 through 7, is we're going to focus on verses 8 through 41. But I think just to put everything in context, I'm going to read it all. So let's start at John chapter 9, verse 1. As he passed by, he saw a man born, or I'm sorry, a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with saliva then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Now here's the verses we're going to address tonight. The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought, the, they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him? Since he has opened your eyes, he said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until 
they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. He'll speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, Give glory to God. We know this man is a sinner. He answered, Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I've told you already, and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him, saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, Why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now you say, We see. Your guilt remains. It's the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we asked tonight that you would somehow illuminate your word to us, that you would speak through it, that by your spirit you would cause this narrative in your word, inspired by you, to impact our lives. God, change us by your word tonight. We ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. amen. I want you to, for a minute, put yourself in the shoes of this guy. We hear that he's born blind, so he's never seen before. And, and I've, have you ever done this before? I know I've done it. I remember doing this as a kid, trying to imitate or see what it would be like to be blind. Has anybody ever done this other than me? And you just, no? <laughs> I've done this. You just close your eyes and try to, and it's hard. And sometimes you can still kind of see things, right? If the light's coming through the window or whatever, you can see if things are lighter or darker. But I've closed my eyes before and tried to wander around and, and 
Am I the only one? Someone please relate to me. All right. <laughs> thank you. Yes, thank you. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment. He's born blind. And as Bernie articulated to us last week, as the disciples asked the question of Jesus that probably many disciples following their teachers coming into the synagogue had asked, as this blind beggar who from the time he was born has been incapable in his community to marry probably, to earn a living, to be like anybody else. The only way he's been able to get by is to be a beggar because he has an inability to see. So he's found a spot that's probably one of the best places to camp out as a beggar near the synagogue on the Sabbath where people are probably feeling they're most generous and and most uh, wanting others to see them give as they go in and out of the synagogue. I, I would imagine that this particular blind man had heard people often talking to their rabbis or their teachers about why he was born like this. And as Bernie articulated last week, the disciples asked the wrong question, a completely wrong premise, because they only leave two options. Why is this man blind? Because he sinned or because his parents sinned? And I would imagine a question like that would have frustrated him. And and Jesus, um, leaving the premise of of the disciples' question behind, said it has nothing to do with his sin or his parents' sin. He is this way so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Amen? And so Jesus heals him. And we jump to verse 8. And I want you to see that there is five conversations that happen Um, in the midst of this narrative, you see that there is, and I'm just going to kind of break it down for you. In verses 8 to 12, the neighbors interact with the man born blind, and then verses 13 to 17, we see the Pharisees for the first time interacting with this blind beggar. And in verses 18 to 23, we see the Pharisees interacting with the blind beggar's parents. And then in verses 24 to 34, we see the Pharisees coming again to the blind beggar and interacting with him again. And I want to kind of walk through this narrative and just let's take a moment and just listen to this simple story of an interaction with Jesus and see what the word of God might show us through that. So this man is healed. And as you can imagine, and as we see in scripture, it starts quite a stir. I mean, here's the guy that these guys have seen over and over again who was the blind beggar. He had been blind from birth. He had been there, and he had been begging, and now all of a sudden, here's the guy, and he sees. And so it causes a stir in the community. This has never happened before. What's going on? They begin to interact with each other. They come to him, and they say, the neighbors come to him, and they're asking questions of him. Is this the guy that was born blind? And some of them are saying, yeah, that's definitely him. And others are saying, well... Jeez, it looks like him, but it's got to be somebody else. Because this guy is obviously not blind. And he sees. Put yourself in his shoes for a moment as, as he washes in the pool. And his eyes are opened. And he sees for the first time. I can't imagine. Can you? I can't imagine what it would have been like to have washed the mud off your eyes and to open up your eyes and for the first time recognizing the sight 
of somebody, of a human being, of a person, of the ground. You recognize all too familiar with smells and with sounds. And as this blind beggar begins to walk through the community, coming back from the pool of Siloam and seeing people and connecting the smells and the sounds with his vision and beginning to recognize that he sees. And for the first time, he begins to see faces and expressions. And here's the neighbors. They're coming to him. They're in a little bit of a panic. There's a little bit of a, of a tussle going on as they are interacting to try to figure out who he is. And he responds to them, yeah, it's me. <laughs> Guys, it's me. I'm the man that was born blind. And they come to him and they say, well, what happened? As you look in verses 8 through 12. They come to him and they say, so what happened to you? They brought the Pharisees to the man who had formerly been blind. Verse 13. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. Oh, I'm sorry, I jumped too far. Jump back to verse 8. The neighbors and those who had seen him as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others said, No, but he is like him. He kept saying, I'm the man. So they said to him, Then how are your eyes open? And he answered, The man, he calls him a man here, Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool and wash. And so he recounts the healing. And as we see in this particular healing, we see Jesus does something that I think is significant. I think there's a couple reasons why he may have done it. But Jesus kneels down and he puts spit into the clay or into the dirt or into the mud and he kneads it. He, 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 he makes it into something that is like a paste or like a mud and he, and he puts it on the blind beggar's eyes. And we might ask ourselves, why would Jesus do this? I see Jesus in the midst of this moment making good on his word that he spoke to the disciples in the verses prior. This man's condition is not because of his particular sin or his parents' particular sin, but it is so that the work of God may be displayed in his life. And right now we are reading the passage. We are seeing the work of God being displayed in his life. This is Jesus making good on his word, on why this man was in this condition. And he does it by mixing up the mud and of course, he knows that he's about to cause controversy. He knows that he is about to stir up a controversy among the Pharisees that will begin to articulate a greater truth, a greater miracle than just the physical miracle of this blind beggar seeing. He's about to address a greater issue of why he came, who he is, and what he can do in our lives. And he does it by stirring up this controversy. He recognizes that somehow making this paste violates one of the 39 classes of rules that they are not to do on the Sabbath in kneading dough or kneading something like clay. And as he creates that clay or that paste that he puts on this man's eyes, I believe he's purposefully violating what they would regard as one of their 39 classes of work that's supposed to be prohibited on the Sabbath. But again, Jesus, as he did prior in John, is showing them that he's the Lord of the Sabbath and that the Sabbath isn't about those rules, but the Sabbath is about this healing. Amen? And he puts the, the mud on his eyes and he recounts this to the neighbors. And at this point, I want you to begin to see something as we walk through these, these discussions and these conversations. I want you to begin to see the progression of sight that happens in the life of of this blind man. Not physical sight, but I believe that this passage addresses issues 
of spiritual blindness, addresses issues of not just physical blindness, but spiritual blindness. And as Jesus encounters this man's life, he begins to not just be the light of the world and that he turned the light on in his physical eyes, but he is now turning the light on in the life of this man so that he can see Jesus for who Jesus is. At this point, all he knows is the man Jesus put mud on my eyes, told me to go wash in a pool of Siloam that is called Scent because they would, they would tap into waters outside the city and irrigate them into this pool, and it was named Siloam Scent, and he sends him there to go wash his eyes, and he sees. That's what he knows. The neighbors, recognizing that something significant has happened in their midst, need to get the people that, in their minds, know what they're talking about, Right? Let's grab the Pharisees and figure out the deal. This is a big deal. And so they go and they get the Pharisees and they bring this man to the Pharisees for this next conversation between the Pharisees and the man bored blind. And he recounts the story again in verses 13 to 17. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus had made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes. And I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. So they said again to the blind man, What do you say about him since he's opened your eyes? He said, He is a prophet. So now a controversy begins to stem amongst the Pharisees. They bring this man to the Pharisees. And here are the rulers and the teachers of the law, those who are, in their minds, followers of Moses, who know the law and who are to instruct in how things are supposed to go. And so they bring this man who's been healed to the Pharisees. And they ask him, what happened? And he tells them. Now the Pharisees begin to launch what I, in my mind, looks like an investigation. They've launched an investigation to figure out what's happening here. We want to know what's going on. Something is getting stirred up. Something significant has happened, and we got to get to the bottom of this. We need to see if it's true. And so the first place you go when you start an investigation, I'm I'm a prosecutor, do investigations all the time at the DA's office. The first place you go when you start an investigation, if you can, is right to the source. We want to go talk to this guy. We want to see him for ourselves. I know that I want to, when I'm, when I'm launching an investigation, I want to see the person for myself. I want them to sit across the table from me. I want to hear them tell their story, and I want to see if I believe it myself. And that's what they did. They put him in front of them, and they asked him what happened. And this inherently credible, formerly blind beggar says to them, he washed my eyes, and now I see. The Pharisees are divided over this issue of their own blindness, because they're so caught up in the Sabbath and what they think of it, they begin to say, and they're also so caught up in their hatred for Jesus and their desire for people to not call him the Christ, for him to not be who he is in their minds, that they begin this controversy, and, and, and they, some of them say, geez, you know, if he's a sinner, how could he have done this? And others say, he broke the Sabbath, he's a sinner. I want you to recognize something here. As we, as we look at this passage, we see the blind man going from calling him the man Jesus to now saying when they ask him, what do you say about him? He says, he's, he's a prophet. Now he's recognizing this man must be from God. But as he's 
beginning to see more and more and becoming less and less spiritually blind, you see the Pharisees becoming what? More and more spiritually blind. They're all caught up in this investigation to, to disprove what's going on here. And they say he's a sinner. How could a sinner heal? How could this Sabbath breaker have the power and the authority to heal a man who's blind? And the Bible says in this passage that they do not believe until they go and get his parents. So now they're at the point in the investigation where they see this guy and they say, all right, he's telling us he got healed. He's telling us he used to be blind. The neighbors are saying he looks like the guy that used to be blind and now sees. We, gotta, we, gotta, we, got, we need some sort of other credible source to tell us whether or not this is the guy. And so they go and they get his parents. And it's interesting that the verse says that. They do not believe until. It gets to a point in this investigation that when the parents come, and as they're seeing everything, there's really no other reasonable explanation but that this man was actually healed. And the parents come. Conversation between the Pharisees and the parents in verse 18 to 23. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, Is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we don't know. And what we see in this passage is we see that these parents are scared. They're recognizing that the Pharisees are going to cast anybody out of the synagogue who begins to worship or call Jesus the Christ or who would signify that Jesus is who he says he is. And Jesus has been declaring who he is leading up to this point. And so they're scared. The parents show up and they're like, you know what, here's what we're willing to tell you. This is definitely our son. That's him. And he was definitely born blind. But how... He got healed? We don't know. Who healed him? We don't know. But I'll tell you what, he's old enough. Go ask him yourself. He can tell you. And the Bible gives us the caveat. The Word of God says, and they did this because they were afraid they would be cast out from the synagogue. You see the implication there that they are excited. You see the implication there that they are grateful that Jesus had come and healed their son. You see the implication there that they recognize that the greatest miracle that they could have ever hoped for, their son who is incapable of having a life like everybody else, who is forced through his disability to be outside the synagogue begging because he can't see, they recognize for the first time that now their son can see. They're recognizing that their boy from birth who's never been able to look at their face now sees them and is looking at them and I believe from this, as, you, as the Bible articul- articulates their fear, that they're recognizing that Jesus has done something unbelievable in the life of their family and in the life of their son. But through fear, they can't express their true feelings to these Pharisees. And they say, listen, he's our son. He was definitely born blind, but you've got to ask him. Verses 24 through 34, we see the Pharisees come again. 
to this blind beggar for the second time. I would imagine at this point, this man is a little frustrated. I think you see his sarcasm in this particular interaction, in this conversation. And I guess, can you imagine? For the first time, he's seeing anger. For the first time, he's seeing expressions on the face of people where he is ready to celebrate this incredible miracle in his life. He's got the Pharisees coming in in attack mode, in investigation mode, in interrogation mode. They're coming after him to disprove this guy Jesus. And, and, And for the first time, he's seeing and he wants to celebrate and he's excited. But what he's seeing is he's seeing the anger on the face, the vile on the face of the Pharisees. You see his frustration in this interaction. I love this conversation right here. He gets a little sarcastic, doesn't he? I mean, he kind of, what has happened to this blind beggar in his mind requires of him in this second conversation with the Pharisees some loyalty to Jesus. Don't don't mistake for a moment that this man, this blind beggar, doesn't recognize that he too could be cast away from them as he is. He too could be cast out of the synagogue. I mean, this is a big deal. You would be cast from the synagogue. It could either be a 30-day expulsion or it could be a lifetime expulsion where you would lose employment. You would lose family members. You would be shunned. You would be outside of the community and the fellowship of other Jewish believers. And, and, and this was a big deal. That's why his parents were so scared. But what has happened to this man requires his loyalty. And in his interaction with the Pharisees in this second conversation, he lets them have it a little. In verse 24, so for the second time they called a man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. (laughs) Listen to this. Give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. It's almost like, you know, Mike said it this morning, you know, get to the point here. Let's cut to the chase. Give glory to God. Let's go along with this here. We know that this man is a sinner. It's a leading question. We, we lawyers do this all the time when we're cross-examining someone. And in and, and, and cross-examination as, as a prosecutor, when someone gets up on the stand, I can't do it when they're my witness. When they're my witness, I have to ask them questions that allow them to answer and tell the story. But when it's someone else's witness, I get to cross-examine them. And when you're cross-examining somebody as an attorney, you're putting the words in their mouth. And, and the, the reality is that a cross-examination question What you ask is really more important than the answer. All I care about is people hear my question. Give glory to God. This guy's a sinner, right? And so my question is really alluding to the answer. And so they're cross-examining him. Give glory to God. Let's cut to the chase here. We all know he's a sinner, right? He answered. I love this. And please hear the simplicity of his confession. Whether he's a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, He's beginning to get frustrated. I've told you already. And you would not listen. 
Why do you want me to hear it again? And, and this is sarcastic here. Do you also want to become his disciples? And that ticks them off. And they reviled him, saying, you're his disciple, but we're disciples of Moses, as if that's some kind of indictment on him. You're his disciple, we're disciples of Moses. And what we know from John chapter 5, verse 45, is that they're really not disciples of Moses, are they? Because Jesus says, if you are a disciple of Moses, you believe in me. They don't even recognize, they can't even see the fact that they don't even follow Moses. Because if they had sight, if they knew what was going on for real, and they were really disciples of Moses, they would believe in Jesus because everything Moses did pointed to Christ, pointed to Jesus. But in their blindness, in their arrogance, they snap back at this incredible man who, who's experienced an amazing miracle. They snap back at him and they say, you're his disciple. We're disciples of Moses. They reviled him. We, verse 29, we know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. The man answered, why is this, why this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of of a man born blind. This guy is now, he's, he's outraged. He says, what are you talking about? Look at me. You say you don't know what he's, where he comes from? This is amazing because he's beginning to see who Jesus is. His eyes, not just physically, are being opened, but his, his heart is being opened to see Jesus for who he is. And he says, look at me. What do you mean you don't know where he comes from? I was blind, and now I see. God doesn't listen to sinners. If this man weren't from God, how could he do this? And in his mind and in his frustration and in his conversation with the Pharisees, he's pointing out the obvious. And he's almost saying to them in his outrage, how blind are you? Do you not see how obvious this is? How amazing is it that you don't know where he comes from? You Pharisees, you teachers of the law, I know where he comes from. You know why I know who he is and where he comes from? Because I was blind and now I see. Can I tell you that's the confession of my life? That is the simple confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I know that it's many of yours. I hope it is. I don't have all the answers. Sometimes I sit in a job and, and I marvel. As a special victims prosecutor, sometimes I look across the table at the devastation of children's lives, at the devastations of people's lives, as I see sin permeate this world and think bad things happen to good people and all these very difficult questions to answer. Sometimes I say the same thing this blind man is saying here in this passage. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. But I'll tell you what I know. Once I was like this, and now I'm like this. The simple confession of faith. Can I tell you how powerful the word of your testimony is? Revelation 12, they loved not their lives unto death. They overcame him by the blood of the lamb. And the word of their testimony, 
your grace story, the story of, of how God has changed your life. You may not have all the answers at work. You may not have all the answers in the midst of your family as difficulty happens and as things go on. You may not have all the theological um, capabilities to, to break down every answer to every philosophical or deep or difficult question. But can I tell you something that's so powerful? Is that once you are blind, and now you see, and your life in the midst of this world that is changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ is a powerful, powerful testimony of who he is. It's so powerful in the midst of this community that the Pharisees are freaking out. Because Jesus has come into the life of the blind beggar, and now he sees. They don't know what to do. They can't even see the obvious. But the testimony of his life People can debate what they think about the Bible. People can debate what they think about this or what they think about that. But they cannot debate the evidence of a changed life. And if your life has been changed by Jesus, your simple confession of faith that once I was blind, and now I see. Amen? It's a simple confession. But it's powerful. And now he progressively begins to see even more. The Pharisees are now losing the argument. And so they get angry. How many of you guys have ever had this happen in an argument before? When you have all the facts on your side. When you are bringing facts to a fiction fight, sometimes people get upset, right? <clears throat> and so the Pharisees... Now, recognizing that the obvious is that Jesus has healed this man, they've talked to the parents, they've talked to the neighbors, they've talked to the dude, he's even kind of schooled them a little bit, and he's throwing it right back in their face, and now they get mad and they don't know what to say, so they insult him. Well, you were born in sin. Who are you to lecture us? And in their arrogance, they get even more obstinate. I have a friend like this. We go to lunch, and we begin to talk. And as we begin to debate, when he starts losing the argument, he's like, well, you're an idiot. <laughs> you know? Anybody know anybody like that? <laughs> he's pointing at me. What's going on? <laughs> That's what they do. They're losing the argument. And so they hurl an insult at him. Well, you were born in sin. Who are you to lecture us? I bet deep down in their minds and in their hearts, they're asking themselves the same question. How are we losing this fight? This guy simply has the answer. And we don't know what to do. And so they insult him. I want you to look at verse 35 and following. Jesus heard that they cast him out. So they insult him and they cast him away from them. They cast him out. Jesus heard that they cast him out. Having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him. Think about that. Mike pointed this out this morning, and I'm going to steal it, because I didn't think of it. What literary genius of John? Bernie did? All right, good. <laughs> I love the way that John wrote this, now that Bernie and Mike have told me about it. <laughs> you have seen him. He points out the fact that you're looking at him. You can see now, and you've seen him. 
and it is he who is speaking to you. Watch this. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. As the Pharisees have been progressively moving towards blasphemy, the, the blind beggar has been progressively moving towards worship. The blind beggar has been progressively having his, not just physical eyes open, but Jesus has revealed himself to him, and his spiritual eyes have been opened, and he has moved from, the man Jesus has put mud on my eyes. Wait a minute, I'm healed, he must be from God, he's a prophet. And now he calls him Lord. From the man to the prophet, he is Lord, and now he begins to worship Jesus for who he is, because his eyes have been opened. And Jesus goes on to explain exactly what just happened. What this blind beggar's life, he was born blind from birth so that the work of God may just be displayed in his life. And now he begins to show this is the work of God being displayed in his life. And through this blind beggar's life, Jesus explains why he came to planet earth. Jesus explains why he came. Jesus said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Hear the sarcasm there? That's a loaded question. Are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Here's what Jesus is saying in this little section of verses. You've seen the picture of what he's now describing for judgment. For judgment, I came into the world. Decision, decisiveness. He comes into the world for a decision. Some of you may be thinking, what about John 3.17? What about John 12.47? You know, for I did not come into the world to condemn the world, or in John 12.47, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. Is this some sort of contradiction in the word of God? And no, it's not. This apparent contradiction is not, an, is not a contradiction at all. It's like, think of a doctor who is, a, a man is rushed into the hospital with a gangrene infection on his arm and he's to save his life he's got to cut the arm off and, and it's like the guy looking up at the doctor and saying are you here to cut off my arm no i'm not here to cut off your arm i'm here to save you but i'm going to cut off your arm to save you that's really what's happening here jesus says for judgment i come for a decision i come yes he has come to save He's not come to condemn the world or to judge the world, but he comes, and, and this decision is made by his coming. When he comes, those that approach, those that are blind, those that are the blind beggar, he will cause them to see, and in doing that, in saving, others are condemned. Those that think they see become blind. This is a powerful concept. This, this actually simple story, this simple gospel, at this moment dives into some of the most deepest areas of theology and philosophy. We're talking about the sovereignty of God here. We're talking about Jesus coming, God in his sovereignty, and by Jesus showing up and healing the blind, 
others are now condemned in their sin. And you see the Pharisees in their sarcasm respond to Jesus in sarcasm. Are we blind too? And what Jesus recognizes here is their definition of blindness is different. Their definition in this question of what blindness is is different. So he goes along with it because he recognizes what they're trying to do is justify themselves and say, well, if we're blind, then how are we guilty? And he says, in the midst of your definition of blindness, no, you're not blind. But because you think you see, your guilt remains. Here's what this is saying to us. Who are you in this narrative? As Jesus comes, the light of the world, and judgment happens, this decision is made. I want to tell you something. I recognize who I am. I'm a blind beggar. I am a blind beggar in desperate need of him turning the lights on in my life. I'm in desperate need of the grace of God coming into my life and causing me to see. But those who come thinking they see. Oh, I know what's going on. I don't need God. I get it. I know what's going on with life. Somehow the two and a half cups of gray and pink electric putty between my ears is capable of grasping everything I need to know about life and what I need to do and how I need to live and my job and my family and, my, and everything in life. I got it. I got this. I see. I'm smart enough. Guess what? Your guilt now remains. But if you recognize, and I'll never forget the day as a young boy, that I first recognized that he's smarter than me, that I need him, that I do not see. I don't know. I am the blind beggar. If you're a blind beggar here tonight, Jesus wants to come and give you sight. He wants to come and turn the lights on, not just physically, but spiritually in your life. He will come and he will cause you to see. And only Jesus can cause you to see who he is that you need him, that he's the savior. He's come to redeem you and forgive your sins and he knows how you're to do life better than you do. But if you come with arrogance, if you come thinking you got it, if you come thinking you see, you'll be made blind. And you can walk through life thinking you know what's going on and miss the whole thing. Like the Pharisees missed one of the most amazing miracles in the history of the world. Because they were blind. Why are we planting this church? Mike asked it earlier. Why are we planting this church? Because we're a bunch of blind beggars. Who Jesus has made see. And we recognize just like Jesus uses the physical world. As he used the clay in his hands to heal this man's eyes. That we like that like clay, can be used by him as the light of the world goes out in each one of us. In the church of Jesus Christ, planted in the northern suburbs of Syracuse, New York, that God can use us, that his light can shine in the lives of people that are blind and that are desperate, and he can turn it on. He can turn the lights on. The gospel of Jesus Christ can make them see. Amen? That's why we're doing this. That's who we are. The story of the man born blind. What an amazing miracle. I hope that we recognize tonight that it's our story too. Amen? This is our story. Once I was blind, 
and now I see. Let's pray. God, we recognize in this moment tonight as we reflect on your word, we recognize afresh who you are. We recognize especially that you've allowed us to see this. You are the Messiah. You are the Christ. You are the one who can bring light. You are the one who can make us see. And we submit ourselves to you tonight. We confess tonight that we need your grace and your work, your miracle in our lives today as much as we ever have. And we ask that you would come like you went to that man after he was cast out. Like you saw him at the synagogue and you went to him. And after he was cast out, you went to him. And God, you've come to us. And we recognize your miracle in our lives. And we worship you for it because you deserve it. God, I ask that you would use us. Use us so that others could see. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen.